Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. What's happening, Rush Nation? Welcome to episode 80 of the Five Yard College podcast. I am your host tonight, Ash. Unfortunately, Stocks can't be with us. He's had a, a few car troubles, so he's had to uh, he's had to bail on tonight's podcast and, and live recording if you're watching. But I am not on my own tonight, thankfully. I'm sure that will be news to everybody's ears, not hearing me drone on on my own for an hour. I am joined by one of the Five Yard College family and writers, Jake, very nice and very glad to have you on board tonight, Jake. How are you doing? Yeah, very well, thanks, mate. Yeah, very well. Really looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. I mean, obviously, it's been an exciting week of football. We've uh, we've seen the last of the, the bowl games. Of course, we've had the semis uh, for the playoffs, which we'll get into shortly. And as always, we've got some news. And unsurprisingly, we've got a lot of transfer news and some more declares. So, it's been a really exciting week, to be honest. And I mean, I think we should just get straight into the news because the first one, let's be honest, on both fronts is, is absolutely massive, isn't it, really? So starting us off is in Oklahoma. And there's actually two pieces of news uh, coming out of Oklahoma. The first is, we mentioned it on last week's pod, um, that, that there was speculation surrounding it. Um, but it has been announced that freshman star QB Caleb Williams is entering the transfer portal to evaluate his options. Williams has said he's still considering staying with the Sooners, but wants to hear offers from other schools. Now, that in itself was massive news, but he added the caveat that he wasn't sure he wanted to even leave Oklahoma, but there's the whole, you can't speak to other programs unless you're in the transfer portal. So he made that decision. Now, on the back of that, now, and I'm sure this has been going on for a couple of weeks regardless, but Roughly three hours after the news came out that Williams was entering the transfer portal, Dylan Gabriel, the uh, former UCF quarterback, who had only recently just committed to UCLA from the portal, um, had flipped his commitment to Oklahoma. So Gabriel is in town in Oklahoma. Caleb Williams is in the portal. I mean, 
this this news on both fronts is just mad, isn't it? Yeah, mate, it's just, it's a big one. It's uh, you don't see many QBs of that caliber entering the portal. Obviously, it's quite a unique situation. I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone's aware that Caleb Williams went to play for Lincoln Riley, and obviously with Lincoln Riley leaving and offensive coordinators uh, over Homer being changed. Um, obviously, they're bringing in Jeff Levy from uh, Ole Miss, um, who obviously had like a really good season with with Matt Corral. Um, so yeah, I think the potentially might return to Oklahoma is is is, is the slimmest of of, uh, of of the slimmest margin there. Like, there's yeah. no highly unlikely that's going to happen if if you ask me. Especially since Jeff Levy was Dylan Gabriel's offensive coordinator at UCF, where he threw for seven thousand yards, seven over seven thousand yards, and sixty one touchdowns in two years. So. Yeah, I think uh, I think that one's set to be honest with you, and I think we'll see Caleb Williams moving on. You got? Do you have any opinion or of where he might go? Or? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you made a you made a great point in the in our chat earlier today. Uh, well, was it a matter of what an hour ago or so. Um, <laughs> I think Ole Miss is, is you did say Ole Miss, wasn't it, in the chat? Yeah, I think that's that's looking more likely than ever. Obviously, Corral is out the door. Uh, there's, there's there's changes in house there, as you said. Now it's it's very slim that that Williams is returning to Oklahoma. I think if the Gabriel news hadn't come out, Williams may well have stayed. He had a great year. He was the the cemented quarterback for next year at least to start. But with with uh, with Gabriel entering the frame, uh, yeah, it's unlikely Williams is staying. And I think the Ole Miss is is a very good shout. Yeah, I don't think it's out of the question. Obviously, there's. Every big school in the country um, are going to be after him. Um, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and um, they were sort of talking about like they were going through huge schools in the country, like even Q- even schools with with set QB rooms. Like, do you still do you still take Caden Williams? Do you still do you still reach out to him? So it's highly likely he goes to one of USC. There's a there's a link to Georgia. He was recruited heavily by LSU when he was in high school, um, but. From what everything that you can read online um, and everything that I've seen, his his main priority is preparing himself for the NFL. Um, so, like you said, Ole Miss isn't out of the question. Lane has Lane has worked with with QBs that are, have gone to the NFL, and obviously Matt Corral is is projected to be a high first round pick. Yeah, exactly. I think it's uh, yeah, it's right on the wall there for now for for Oklahoma. They've got their new quarterback. Williams is is looking elsewhere. It seems like every week at the moment we're talking about Texas A&M and five-star recruits. <laughs> and we mentioned it briefly last week that um, they had five of the top eight. One of them is now officially cemented in and confirmed. Uh, linebacker and number five overall recruit, recruit Harold Perkins, um, has now officially committed to the Aggies on Sunday, last Sunday. And uh, unsurprising, he was he was, he was was already committed to them, but he is now officially signed. And this, I mean, just just on defense alone, the players that at Texas A&M are picking up over the next two years is frightening. Uh, they've got a, a real, I mean, yeah, I can't explain how excited I am to watch that defense in a couple of years' time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, ha- Harold Perkins coming in takes um, Texas A&M's recruiting class this year to the greatest of all time, uh, like according to the two four seven composite yeah. rankings, which yeah. is. Annoying because Alabama was uh, uh, w- w- was first for for a year after their 2021 recruiting class, but 
yeah, that's, I mean, another uh, incredible get by Jimbo. Um, he's in, he's 6'5", 210. He's got a lean athletic build. Um, he's insanely quick, so he's going to be, like, decent in coverage and rushing the passer. He needs to put some mass on in college, but that, that will happen uh, quite naturally yeah. in, like, a college strength and training program. Um, he plays on and off the ball. Um, and, and, yeah, like, long-term pro upside, potential pro bowler in his future. Um unbelievable get for the program yeah definitely a&m recruiting has just been phenomenal over the last year <laughs> and it seems like it's only going to be getting better as we get deeper into the 2023 recruits now so they're a real force to be reckoned with over the next couple of years if these if these recruits pan out we know that it doesn't always happen but to just have so many alone is is absolutely phenomenal we've got a couple of bits of transfer news now the first is in regards to a running back and that is zach evans the former tcu five-star running back has announced his transfer to ole miss now we've just been speaking about ole miss potentially getting caleb williams if if they get caleb williams as well as getting zach evans who bear in mind missed five games in 2021 but he's he got he's finished tcu after two years of over a thousand rushing yards and nine touchdowns this guy on his day is phenomenal if they get Kenny Williams behind this man in front of this man as the QB I mean again you just got to watch out for TCU in their conference yeah absolutely um he, he has all the talent to be the top running back in this class and that's that's even with um the other guys that uh, like projected top picks like B. John Robinson and um and uh, a few of the other guys um he his I don't know if you remember but he had a really strange recruitment um and ended up at TCU really sort of uh, circuitously um, and um, has been has dealt with a bunch of injuries and rumours of a few off-field issues as well. Um, so it's an interesting track. He has all the talent and all the ability. It's like whether he can put it together or not. And obviously, we've just seen Lane Kiffin uh, produce two, two great offences in the two years that he's been at Ole Miss. And... Jerry O'Neill's draft stock is as high as it as it's ever been, and higher than I thought it would ever be. Anyway, so um, it's definitely not a bad move for for Zach Moss and his future prospects. Um, let's just uh, see if he can put it all together. Yeah, definitely. I think yeah, I remember from the Evans recruitment that he was he was with Georgia. Then he he got essentially cut, released from his commitment from there. But yeah. as you say, ended up at TCU. But yeah, if he's on his day, he's phenomenal, and as you said, one of the one of the top running backs in this twenty twenty is he twenty four or twenty three, whichever one it is, he's one of the top running backs in that class on his day. Injuries have been a big thing for him in his two years at TCU, but if he can stay fit, he can stay on the field mm-hmm. at Ole Miss. Sky could be the limit for this lad. Yeah, I think that's right. He's in the same class as B. John Robinson. Isn't I believe he? so. Yeah, yeah. Jameer yeah. Gibbs and yeah. Yeah, I mean, incredible class on its own, but Zach yeah. Evans can be right up there if he wanted to be. Definitely. And one more piece of news in regards to a transfer, and this is another quarterback moving. Um, former Missouri quarterback Connor Baselake is transferring to Indiana. Um, he still has three years of eligibility eligibility left, and he left Missouri with a fa- over 5,000 yards in his three years there. Indiana have moved quickly to replace uh, Michael Penix Jr., who has recently, uh, mid-December, I believe, transferred over to Washington. And as a lot of people will know, Michael Penix had a, an injury hit career with with the Hoosers, and now they've uh, they've they've 
reacted quick and picked up, a, again, another quarterback who's got some decent potential. He's shown what he can do at Missouri, and now he just needs to put it all together and, and, and hope that uh, Indiana have got hope that they've got themselves a quarterback that can stay on the field. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't know too much um, about Conor Bezalak, Um but it's, it's quite interesting and looking at it from the perspective of the transfer portal, right? It's like these sorts of transfers, Penix to Washington, Bazelak to Indiana. The, 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 you didn't see this a couple of years ago because there was no free movement. Um, and now you're getting these sorts of transfers that spice everything up every single season now. And I think that's really good for, for, good for the sport regardless. Yeah, I agree. The changes they made to the... Um, the um eligibility of players having to sit out a year obviously that's a lot of that is related to covid but it seems that that's staying and, and you're right it gives these players the, the the freedom to move and most of the time it is a positive for for, for everyone involved and and you're right this this year in particular the amount of quarterbacks we've seen enter in the portal is crazy and the uh, next year's next year's teams a lot of them are going to have a different quarterback under center now, looking ahead to the future, the near future, we're, we're, we're mere months away from it now, but the 2022 draft, we've had some more declarations. Most of, I mean, to be honest, all three of these are expected considering the, the calibre of players they are, but we will uh, we will mention them anyway. The first being Cincinnati cornerback Ahmed Gardner is skipping, skipping his senior year and entering the 2022 draft. Gardner is highly expected to go in the first round, and if this does happen, he'll be the first Bearcat drafted in the opening round since 1971. This guy, in his career with with Cincinnati, has been phenomenal, but this year in particular, he's been lights out. I think I read a stat the other day that in his career, he's not given up a touchdown. It's true. That is phenomenal from from yeah. any player, but but from a player outside of the Power Five and. Cincinnati's season has been has been incredible, and Gardner has been a big part of that on the defensive side. Yeah, he's been absolutely dominant. And and uh, last week, obviously, he saw um, Alabama uh, and Jameson Williams, the Bryce Young Jameson Williams connection, get fairly limited when um, Gardner and and um, his safety sort of double teamed him over the top. Um, yeah, he's been dominant. Or yeah, he's got great length, six two, um, but he's insanely physical plays right up at the line. He's going to be a great man coverage corner in, in the NFL. Um, he can play zone. He's intelligent. Uh, he reads the game well. Um, but like like I said, he, he suits that suits that man-to-man defense, that press cover defense. So, yeah, his future's really bright, man. And, um, yeah, like, I can't wait to see the source in the NFL. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I mean, I'd be shocked if he, if he gets out the first half of the first round, let alone falls out the first round. So you can almost lock it in that the Bearcats are going to be getting their first first rounder since 1971. Um, On to a quarterback who has declared, probably unsurprising. I know he's not had the best year, but I think everyone was expecting this to happen. But UNC quarterback Sam Howell is entering the 2022 draft. He is still touted as a first round quarterback. His stock has taken a bit of a hit this year. UNC and Howell have not had the best of years, but again, on his day, Howell is a top quality quarterback. If he can find the right landing spot and with his stock taking a little bit of a hit, that is more than likely than it was six or seven months ago. He could have a bright future in the NFL, but he has got some flaws that do need to be ironed out. Yeah, I um, it's a weird one, really. You kind of feel like UNC have wasted somehow a little bit. Um, not so much 
last year when they had the uh, Javonna Williams and Michael Carter and Diami Brown. Um, but more so this year, obviously taking a really tough loss to, to South Carolina in the bowl game as well, which is pretty yeah. embarrassing, obviously. Um, but yeah, he, he obviously has a bright future out of him, great mechanics, good footwork. Uh, he, he, he can run. I don't like this dual threat uh, label that he's been given because yeah, okay, in the ACC, the defense he's up against, like he can run a little bit, but in the NFL, he's not going to have that sort of space and, and he isn't going to have that, he hasn't got the speed to beat NFL linebackers. So, um, but he's a goat thrower. We've, we've seen it uh, on plenty of occasions um, in, in games that he's played against some of the top teams. Um, so, yeah, really looking forward to seeing where he sort of falls. Obviously, I think the combine and his pro day will be like big factors in, in what interest he gets from teams leading up to the draft. Yeah, definitely. I think you, you hit the nail on the head there. He, he was one of the top passers in the ACC. He's one of the top passers when it comes to a quarterback pure passing. And he does have his legs if he needs to. But I would agree, you take advantage of the, the defences that you play in college. But I, I think he has enough to be able to utilise it when needed. But he's someone you can rely on with his arm most of the time. So that's that's the main thing. And then again, this one is... Probably the least surprising of the bunch, considering who it is and where he's expected to go. But Michigan edge Aiden Hutchinson has announced he is skipping his senior year and entering the draft. Hutchinson is expected to be one of the top names, one of the first names coming off the board in April. And this is unsurprising news. Incredible talent and in conversation as the the number one overall pick already. Yeah, absolutely. He's um, he's he's been dominant all season um, in the uh, Michigan defense. Him and Ajabo, obviously, have both been dominant all season. But um, uh, yeah, six foot six, two sixty five, has all the physical attributes to be successful at the next level. Um, obviously, there's like a little bit of concern after going up against Georgia last week and and basically being completely. Um, shut out of the game. Obviously, we'll probably talk about that in a minute um, in a little bit more detail. But he looked he looked a little bit more ordinary last week. So there's obviously he's obviously a raw prospect that has a has a lot of development to do. Um, I that this this first round pick, uh, first overall pick, talk to the to the Jags or um, or second to the Lions. I've, I've, personally based on what i've seen like i think it's a little bit of a reach um he's uh, i think it's probably going to be a bit of a like controversial opinion based on on the amazing season that he's had but i mean and he, and obviously being second in the heisman voting as well um but i think when you obviously as a bama homer um when you put him up against someone like um uh, uh sorry but will anderson um and the season he had like he should have been second in the Heisman vote or maybe should have even won it himself. So um, I think, yeah, it'd be interesting, very interesting to see how NFL teams value him um, up against the other top prospects in the bar, in the draft, like, like Evan Neal and um, some of the other guys, like Caitlin Thibodeau as well. He's another one, yeah. isn't he? So. Yeah, definitely. I think <laughs> I, I'd agree with you. He is on the lighter side when it comes to a typical edge, but he has got room in his frame to, to put that weight on. And I think for him to be hyper successful and to live up to the draft stop that he's currently being touted at, he needs to do that. But one thing that he has is he has that get off speed. He has those, those hands that he just, that makes him disruptive regardless of his size in and around the backfield. 
Mm-hmm. I, I do expect big things from him, but I, I, I do also agree with you. I think this season has has hyped him up massively, and there is that that potential overpaying for him if someone isn't isn't careful. But I, I am confident in the in the potential there. I think he's shown what he can do on his day, and he's still got a lot more in the locker that he can uh, that he can show as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then we will quickly go over the last of the bowl games that have happened over the, well, the yeah, the last week now. Um, obviously, we've covered up until uh, pretty much New Year's Eve. We had the build-up to the playoffs. We had the New Year's Six games, and we had some more bowl games. So we'll quickly go through the remaining bowl games and the New Year's Six before we get into our, our deep dive review of the, the two playoff games, because obviously that's what everyone's interested in, and those were the, the two games that everybody was paying attention to. So starting off on the 30th of December, the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, Jake mentioned it earlier, but South Carolina dominated UNC 38-21. And obviously we did cover that right at the end of last week's pod because that game finished as we almost finished recording. But as you say, UNC season finished on a whimper. It never really got going for them and, and, and South Carolina dominated that game sort of throughout. And then in also on December 30th, we had the Las Vegas goal bowl not goal wisconsin beat arizona state 2013 and then a a really exciting game um and i would recommend people going to watch the highlights if they get chance to but the music city bowl purdue against tennessee purdue won 48 45 it was a high powered back and forth offensive game and as i say i'd highly recommend people go and check that out if they've got time to on the highlights it was it was a real good watch yeah, that's definitely on my uh, list for when the girlfriend's out for the afternoon with her friends and I've got a few hours to myself. I'm going to watch the the long version of the highlights of that one. It looked insanely cool. Yeah, there, there was a couple of them that, of course, as you'd expect, got um, got overshadowed by the games um, that came after them. But yeah, definitely the build-up to the, the playoffs, there was, a, there was a couple of decent games that I'd, I'd highly recommend people going to watch. December 31st, New Year's Eve, we had another three games on. Sorry, no, two games on. The first was the Gator Bowl, Wake Forest versus Rutgers. As people know, Rutgers replaced Texas A&M, who had to pull out of this game due to player availability. Wake Forest easily handled Rutgers 38-10. And then in the Sun Bowl, a much-changed game, Central Michigan beat Washington State 24-21. Central Michigan replaced Miami in this game, who also had to drop out due to COVID and of course, because the Arizona Bowl against Boise State, which Central Michigan were originally in, also had to be cancelled. So at least Central Michigan still got a game and they got a bowl win on the back of it. Two games on at January 1st, the first being the Citrus Bowl. Kentucky overcame Iowa 2017 and Arkansas finished off an incredible season for them. 24-10 victory over Penn State, who on the flip side finished their season with a whimper. But Arkansas have been impressive pretty much the whole year. And this was a, this was a justified ending for them, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, I caught a couple of highlights of that game um, and it just looked like Arkansas were dominant on the line and ran over yeah. them. Um, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, they ran all over and Penn State really had no answers on the defensive side of things and, and Arkansas on, on the flip side, on the defensive side, as we've seen a lot of time this year, just shut Penn State out for, for pretty much the whole game. And then the final game that happened, it actually happened after all of the New Year's Six and the playoffs, but the Texas Bowl on January 4th, uh, Kansas State handily beats LSU 42-20. <laughs> I haven't had a chance to watch or see the highlights of this game, but just reading what happened, Kansas State made LSU just look 
silly through pretty much the whole game. Yeah, I think we should probably caveat that with Kansas State beat the LSU practice squad 42. True. Yeah, because that's true. There's so many injuries. Yeah. Um, and they, they were playing like a bunch of walk-on guys that they'd signed, like they'd signed up like in the months before. Like, it, it, it was pretty bad. Um, I... Yeah, I was very surprised this game went ahead. And it was yeah, one of the games that were being rumoured was, was going to be cancelled because of just how much LSU was struggling. And obviously, they have more people leaving for the draft and, and have, have declared early. They had, as you say, injuries, transfers, mm. and, and yeah, a lot of walk-ons. So, yes, you're right. There is a caveat on that, but can't take anything away from Kansas State. They, they, they got the Texas Bowl, they won it, and they finished their season off on a high, which was obviously great for them. And yeah, they just, sure. I mean, it... LSU season ended as it's pretty much been all year. The, their fans are going to want to forget about it and, and move on. And big changes coming in the off season. So, well, they've obviously already taken place with with, with Brian Kelly. So it remains to be seen how uh, how that's going to go. I'm, I'm excited to see how his reign in LSU uh, transpires. Yeah. Especially his southern accent. <laughs> oh, I know that was crazy. He developed, he developed out yeah. of nowhere. <laughs> I love seeing. I love seeing when, regardless of Indiana. <laughs> yeah, regardless of what sport it is, when a new manager goes to a, a like yeah. a, a different region or a different country, whatever it may be, they just seem to pick up that twang very quickly, and it's never a good twang either. <laughs> oh man. <It> <sighs> The last four games are the New Year's six games. So we're now, we're now starting to get to the exciting ones. The first was on December 30th. That was the Peach Bowl. Michigan State beat Pitt 31-21. As me and Stocks mentioned a couple of weeks ago, as expected and then confirmed, Michigan State were missing Kenneth Walker, their running back. And of course, Pitt were missing their star quarterback, Kenny Pickett. This game was decided right at the depth with a pick six by Michigan State to fit, um, Defensive back Cal Halliday. Uh, there's about 30 seconds left of the game, and he scored the pick six to pick 6-2 to, to shut this one down. I think what made it worse for Pitt is not only were they missing Kenny Pickett, but they also lost their backup quarterback, Nick Patty, in the first quarter. When that happens, it just never really got going for them, unfortunately. This this game was done by that point. They, uh, yes, Michigan State were missing Kenneth Walker, but they had pretty much everybody else. And I think you can handle yourself a, a bit better with a, with missing a running back, regardless of how good they are, than you can missing your, your, your star quarterback and pick it, ran this offense through the year. So And then losing your backup, that was a, a real kick in the teeth and, and pretty much ended this game for, uh, for, for Pitt, unfortunately. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make, mate. Like, it's a it's a lot easier to replace a running back than it is a star quarterback. Um, mm. And uh, obviously, like you said, Michigan State with pretty much everyone else else there, um, they could re- run the same plays, same offense. Um, whereas whereas Pitt had to switch up a lot, obviously, and then took a hit in that first quarter as well. So yeah, a tough day for them. Yeah, definitely. And then the final three games were all on New Year's Day. And the first of those was the Sugar Bowl. Baylor beat Ole Miss 21-7. The main talking point from this was Matt Corral being cut off with an ankle injury in the first quarter. A lot of people were surprised he played. And when he went down, it looked like a bad injury. And a lot of people were uh, holding their breath. Obviously, he's going to be entering the draft this year. Fortunately, it is only a sprained ankle. We still don't know exactly how long it's going to be out for, but obviously if it's not a bad sprain, we're looking at a few weeks. So hopefully he can get himself uh, fit and, and, and ready for the uh, the combine and the, the build-up to the draft. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, I mean, he's shown enough, I think, throughout the season uh, on tape um, that if, if he can't go ahead with a pro day or, or, or in the combine, that it, it shouldn't hurt his stock too much um, from everything that you can read out there. He's a, he's a high-caliber guy and, uh, great character and um yeah I, I 
I very much um, expect him to go in in the sort of top 15 to 20 picks in the first round. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I'll have to agree with you there. Yeah, we should we should also mention Baylor as well. Dave Aranda with with a with a like absolutely quality season there um, with the Bears, and I would expect them to sort of open up their checkbook and and pay him some money soon and try and lock him down to a long term contract because um, they're definitely not short of it in Waco. So we should see that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think he, everything he's done this year, they've had a phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal season, yeah. and and they're building. They've still got a lot of key pieces there that are returning, and, and they're going to make a yeah. real play for the Big Twelve again next year. Yeah, for sure. That led, that running attack with Lenny Brown and um, and Abrams um, has been has been really, really something to watch all year. Um, so yeah, and Jerry Bahannon as well. Um, he's come on leaps and bounds from from the first few games. Definitely. The second game on January 1st was the Fiesta Bowl, Notre Dame against Oklahoma State. And uh, Notre, Dame are, Notre Dame are just going to want to forget about this game. Not only did they give up 21 points, they the, uh, Oklahoma State overcame a 21-point deficit, which I believe is the largest deficit in Pro Bowl. Sorry, not Pro Bowl, in bowl in a bowl game. But Oklahoma State scored 30 unanswered points on Notre Dame. They just imploded. And, and Oklahoma State, just went to town and, and looked like, considering how poorly they started, they spent Saunders and, and co. They just switched it on and, and took the game to, to Notre Dame and, and rightly won it. I think there's there's no arguments about it. I think it's one of the best games I've seen Spencer Saunders play over 300. And I think he finished on 370 yards and four touchdowns. Just phenomenal. And then another 120 odd on the grounds. Yeah. Mm. And just absolutely obliterated them in that, in that second half. And as I say, a major, major turnaround. Yeah, it's nice to see Spencer Sanders um, put put like a real nice game together. He struggled to hit those like high passing yardage numbers in games throughout the season. Like often getting like he'll get like one seventy three and two um, and stuff like that. And he's made some really nice throws. And obviously, always a threat on the ground at his size and and speed. Um, but yeah, nice to see him uh, put put like a game together. And obviously, coming back to beat Notre Dame is always fun for us uh, people that are neutral to watch. <laughs> Not not yeah. so uh, yeah, that was always nice. Uh, yeah, a bit of a tough start for Marcus Freeman's Notre Dame head coaching career, but uh, definitely a, a, a point of coaching, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think they 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 almost got it right. The depth they scored that touchdown. They obviously then of course went tried to go for the onside kick with about a minute to go. It failed. If it if it if it had happened, we would have been talking about Notre Dame being able to stop the the, the best comeback in in bowl game history, but. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, as you say. The, uh, they, they've got a lot to build on for next year. They've got a young, exciting coach that, that's that's taken over, and they've still got some great players returning despite their losing. And obviously, they weren't involved, but Carl Hamilton and um, Kyrell, Kyron Williams, they weren't involved in this game, but they still got a yeah. lot of key pieces there. So still lots to look up for for Notre Dame next year. But as you say, if you're not a Notre Dame fan you're almost a Notre Dame hater, it seems. So, you know, <laughs> just <laughs> just comes with the territory. Got to love to hate Notre Dame. Yeah, exactly. There's a few things <laughs> like that for me. <laughs> we'll be talking about a couple of them in a bit. The final New Year's Six game and probably the most exciting one, maybe a little bit of bias, but I, I think a lot of people would agree, was the Rose Bowl, Ohio State versus Utah. Ohio State won this one 48-45. Now, you just look at that scoreline and you go, wow, that must have been a great game. It, it really was. I was worried at halftime as an Ohio State fan. Utah were handling us. It was taking CJ Stroud all his might just to keep us in the game. 
one thing I'll say about him is the the accuracy on that guy, the ball placement is is crazy. If he can continue to put it all together, I mean, the sky is the limit for that kid. He was phenomenal, nearly 600 yards and five touchdowns. A couple of little bit of errors here and there, one of those leading to an interception. But take nothing away from, from Utah, this whole game, they... I think they were ahead by two touchdowns four times in the game. They brought it back at the depth to tie the game up before, unfortunately, losing on a field goal. But as I say, they they were phenomenal throughout. I was really concerned with Ohio State's defense. They they were poor at times, just not being able to handle any any anybody runners in particular. Just almost walked through them, but. As I say, when you've got CJ Stroud, you, you're always in with a shout. And I think we've got to speak about Jackson Smith and Jeeba, the wide receiver for Ohio State. Broke a number of records. He scored 347 touchdowns and sorry, 347 yards and three touchdowns. He broke the bowl game record of 308 yards set in 2006 by Jason Rivers in the Hawaii Bowl. He also broke the bowl, the Rose Bowl game record of 212 yards by Keyshawn Johnson. And then he also broke a couple of Ohio states. So he got the single game record, single game record for receiving yards and the single season record for receptions and yards. This kid has had an incredible career already with Ohio State. And again, much like CJ Stroud, uh, another two years, I believe he's got. The sky is the limit with this kid. He and he, he dropped a touchdown into the end zone as well. He could have finished on four touchdowns. It just whenever the ball went to him, he just seemed to have all the space he wanted. If not, he he made it. And yeah, absolute phenomenal. But as I say, if if people get a chance to, I'd highly recommend going to watch this game. It was so exciting. Slight biased on my front for being an Ohio State fan, but even if I wasn't, I would highly recommend people go and watch this game. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's another one that's on my list when the when the girlfriends are out, out of town. Um, yeah, I want to watch this one in full for sure. Um, yeah, nice to see Stroud's made a massive improvement throughout the season. He looked pretty shaky in that first when when that first big game against Oregon. He didn't look like he knew how to run the offense at all, and now he looks like the the Heisman favorite for next year. So, um, um, yeah, and watching Jack Jackson Smith and Jake Burr has, has been like, it's such a pleasure as just a college football fan, even though I'm an Alabama fan and no, it's, <laughs> it's, it's never easy to see Ohio State with such talented players, but, um, yeah, it was awesome. And then uh, I think, uh, Ronnie Harris, uh, what was his name? Is it Marvin Harrison? Sorry. Mar- Mar- Harrison, yeah, yeah. The young freshman kid also got like a couple of, a couple of touchdowns and, and, yeah. and, over 100 yards so he's uh yeah um it's just absolutely dominant performance in the end from ohio state um and and obviously utah as well like real nice to see them just competing on the biggest stage their defense has been um an incredible unit throughout the year um and and yeah like like i said kyle whittingham uh, never never ceases to uh produce a, a solid hard to beat team yeah, definitely. I think Cameron Rising, who we've mentioned a few times um, this season, just because of all the goings on that's happened in Utah and on the quarterbacks in particular, he was he was great in the game. Um, he he kept this this Utah offense running. There, there was one player in particular which I think highlighted his resilience, but at the same time, how frail Ohio State's defense can be at times. Where he was essentially sacked in the backfield. He's then overpowered the the defender and, and ended up going for I think a, a thirty yard run or something like that. Yeah, he had, he, he personally had a great game, and I, I think you can't take away from anybody on Utah, on Utah's 
offense or defense. This was just a, a back and forth, high comp- hyper competitive game that, that really could have gone either way. And and on the day it went it went to Ohio State, and as you say, Stroud had probably uh, I'd say almost a career game. Yeah, and like, like you said, I, I just want to talk about that Ohio State defense for a second because that's been the problem for them, right? Like you, it was the problem for them again. Again, it's it's been the problem. It was a problem for them in the Rose Bowl. It was the problem for again for them again the national championship game last year against Bama, and when they got beat by Clemson the year before that. So it seems like for a few years now, it's like been the one thing that's massively let Ohio State down in, in these mm-hmm. big moments. And obviously, Stroud and Jigba ensured that didn't happen in the Rose Bowl um, this year. But yeah, it's um it's a bit of a it's a bit of a weird one um, they- going forward. Yeah, they've they've they have. You're right. They've not really had that. They've had a couple of great defensive individuals, but it's just sure. the the yeah. defense as a whole. As you're right, it's been a bit suspect. I'm, I'm looking forward to the next year or two with some of the recruitments we've we've made. Two of them are in town at the moment. The, the edges, Jack Sawyer and uh, JT Tua Lamoa. Those guys mm. look exceptional. They've obviously now got a year under their belt. Well, they've been getting a bit of gameplay, but you're right. The the defense has been concerned for a couple of years now, and hopefully, Day and and his um, defensive coordinators and staff can can right that ship. Because if they can get their defense on point every game to go alongside this offense that that keeps them in games when they shouldn't be, yeah, they. I'll be very excited to see that, but that doesn't always happen. <laughs> And now we have to move on, and we really should move on to the playoff games. The semi-finals have happened. We know our finalists. Um, I, I'm happy about one of them. I'm not happy about the other. The curse finally struck for me and Stocks once again. Cincinnati against Alabama in the Cotton Bowl. Alabama won this game 27-6 to over Cincinnati. And to be honest, it was pretty, I mean, it was comfortable, let's be completely honest. I think I was paying particular attention to the Bama defence and the Cincinnati offence because, of course, I'm a Desmond Ritter fan and this Bama defence is incredible. And barring, I want to say, two or three plays, Ritter had no time. I've not, the, the pressure that was on him from the outset was just absolutely in just uh, disgusting i think like as you say you mentioned him earlier but will anderson jordan battle the safety um who's the other linebacker uh christian harris i mean just those three in particular were phenomenal but this unit the alabama defense as a whole just put just shut cincinnati down regard no matter what they tried to put in front of them yeah harrison um anderson got home all night um and it was it's t- it was like it's tough really because um, obviously a lot of people coming straight out and saying ah oh, Cincinnati never belong but this you, you could just replace this game with Alabama Notre Dame from a couple of years ago Alabama Michigan State Alabama Washington for, do you know what I mean we we looked exactly as comfortable um, and as as we did against all of those teams and and Cincinnati played hard all game they just when at this at this level when it gets down to the top four teams in the country and um one of them's been recruited has had the top sort of top recruiting class five of the last seven years it's it's, it's going to be tough right and um it, i think credit all credit to cincinnati and all, all credit to some of their individuals and their defense like amar gardner as we talked about earlier um he like largely shut jameson williams down 
Um, there's going to be a lot of people saying, right, well, that's all Georgia need to do next week, right? Is, is, yeah. is shut Jameson down, is, is double covering. But I also think that it kind of played into Saban's hands tonight was that they, we could beat them by running the ball straight down their throat. We didn't have to show anything. Didn't have to, didn't have to get crazy with any concepts. Didn't have to do loads of different offensive looks, loads of pre-snap pre movement. There was a few jet sweeps and, and plays from Jameson and, and, and that, but largely i think this this was exactly the sort of game that saving would have wanted right 27 to 6 absolute yeah. physical domination on both of the lines but we didn't go wild and, and we didn't show a lot no you're right and i think uh, you, <clears throat> the the key thing on that and it just shows the the as you say the domination on both sides was how handsomely they shut cincinnati offense down and then on the flip side of it the amount of room that Brian Robinson Jr. was allowed and even when he didn't have room, just the, the trucking and the, the power that he had behind his runs. I think this was a career day for him, wasn't it? 204 yeah. yards. And I think it was the one of the, I think it, it's one of, if not the best running back performance from, in a bowl game for Alabama running back. Uh, I think um, it's the best Alabama, it's an Alabama bowl record. Yeah, bowl records. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. And I mean, it, it, and I wouldn't say that, that that Cincinnati made it easy for him because he made so many of these plays just taking people with him and, and creating the, the room. And yeah, he, he had an incredible game. And and considering they have Bryce Young as their quarterback, the, the, the Heisman winner, he had a, a pretty quiet game, still threw for three touchdowns, but he didn't have to do much. Like you say, this is the exact sort of game that Saban would have wanted. He, mm. he stuffed the ball down their throats in the run game and, and he shut. Cincinnati down, whether it's on their run game or on or on their their on their passing game, they just unfortunately, as you say, Cincinnati had no answers, and I don't think many people that would have played Bama in this game would have done because their defense was just that good. I've I've not seen a, a such a solid performance from a defense much this year outside of Georgia, and and Bama have shown in this game, and they showed in the in the in the championship that. Their their defense is right up there with Georgia. Yeah, for sure. I think I think um, on a like, sort of on a broader level, Georgia has been a more dominant unit for over the year, and and especially against the run, we've we've allowed uh, Florida to run through us, LSU to run through us, and um, Texas A and M to have a good go at it as well. So, um, yeah, there's obviously this this stuff that has massively improved since earlier on in the year with with this Alabama defense. Um, and I think obviously Saban knows how to coach against against specific coaches, right? It's, yeah. he's, he, I mean, a good example of 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 his 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 coaching ability and and Pete Golding's coaching ability is early on in this game is first drive, right? Uh, Cincinnati is no defense known for giving loads of complex looks, loads of shuffles, pre snap movement. Um, and so Bama comes up, run, runs the ball straight down their throats um, and goes up tempo, keeps them in standard alignment. You see that on the Jameson Williams jet sweep play, right? That he, he comes across Cincinnati defense. Players are running into each other as they're trying to get to the sideline to tackle him. Um, and, and yeah, and then it's an easy throw to, um, to slay Bolden for a touchdown. And again, you see that. You see that Saban's obviously seen it. Look, they they can't beat they can't beat us if they have in front of us, right? They have to sit off off us. Uh, Jameson runs straight to the back corner of the end zone, and they have to double cover him, which leaves Slade Bolden in a nice cushion in there in 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 the in in between the linebackers and the uh, and the safety. So, um, yeah, I think it's just obviously superior coach, 
superior players, superior everything. Uh, it's not Cincinnati's fault. It's not putting them down. Um, yeah, like I said, Ridder, like you said earlier, Ridder had no time to throw the ball. We, we no. didn't really get to see how good a quarterback he can be because he had no time to throw the ball. And um, obviously, uh, you look at Bryce Young, he has a lot more time to throw the ball. <laughs> step up in the pocket. His, uh, his throw to Ja'Cory Brooks down the sideline was was nice, obviously, which was one of his bigger throws of the day. Um, but yeah, he, he had a quiet game, but he made he made all the right decisions, right? Like he, I think he got did he get sacked once? I think in the game, yeah, twice. Yeah, it was. Uh, I think it ended up as one sack for for him. Yeah, um, right. One, so, one sack, um, yeah. which is which is fine, right? Do you know what I mean? One sack. Yeah. Um, every, he's made all the other right decisions. He's made the, those first first down plays, um, like first down throws on third down uh, to Jameson a couple of times. He's picked him up accurately. So I think I think again Saban will be coming away, patting Bryce on the back, saying like, "Well done, that was exactly what I needed from you tonight." Um, yeah, exactly. Um, a good execution of the offense. Yeah, definitely, and I think that it was apparent that Ridder had no time to do anything or, or show anything. That the fact that in a lot of his plays, he wasn't even able to finish his his drop back. There was, I think, yeah. two times where he was sacked. I think Obama finished on six sacks on the day, but there's two occasions where. Ridder hadn't even finished his, his, I think it's a three-step drop back he does, and he's already got two Bama defender, defenders on him. The one time he was able to throw the ball, he made a he made a lovely looping pass into, I think it was Michael Young. Uh, and it just shows that when he's got a bit of time, he can make yeah. those throws. But you, as you said, and as we said earlier, just had no time. Cincinnati was never a, allowed to get going on offense and, and were just overpowered. In the in the wrong in the uh, in the defense against Bama's run game, so it was uh, unfortunately never really close. Not the not the game that I wanted, of course, as a as a uh, Cincinnati trooper. But I think on the day, hundred percent, the the right team won and 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 and, and Bama dominated. Now the final game of the playoffs: Michigan versus Georgia in the Orange Bowl. I mean, let's let's be honest; it was. It was almost a, a carbon copy of the game we saw before. Georgia won this one 34-11 and it was done by halftime. Georgia came out, Stetson Bennett had probably one of the games of his career. He made no mistakes. I don't remember seeing, I think maybe one or two missed passes, but nothing came of those. He had his best performance um, and the Georgia defence just handled Michigan's offence all game and yeah, as I say, it was 27-3 by halftime. Georgia went into into coast in the second half. I think they put half of their backups in. Eventually, Michigan in the fourth quarter did the same. We saw J.J. McCaffrey, the five-star quarterback from Michigan, get a few snaps. Yeah, this game was done at halftime. Georgia never gave Michigan a sniff. And, uh, yeah, just almost as comfortable as that Bama-Cincinnati game, really. Yeah, it's like looking at the same game really with uh, with um, with different uniforms and maybe a little bit more downfield thrown um, yeah. from from Stetson Bennett. And yeah, all credit to Stetson Bennett. Uh, he's he's found Jermaine Burton, uh, Cook uh, on that right sideline and essentially the same play twice, right in the yeah. pocket, right over Cook's right shoulder, perfect position in the football. Um, yeah, he's moved up in the pocket well, avoided. Obviously, the offensive line's got a big part to play in keeping. Agent Hutchison quiet all night. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it was like a perfect game for him. Um, and um, he actually got to throw downfield and we got to see what he can do. Um, 
It was a, a, a great game for James Cook as well. Like yeah. Gash runs up the middle, touchdown, uh, touchdown catch, um, with a little sort of pop loopy pass uh, on the left sideline. Um, uh, big like that big right side, right right hand side uh, touchdown, uh, not touchdown, sorry, sideline catch. Um, yeah, just just awesome to watch him have like a, a bit of a homecoming game. Um, um, he's obviously from South Florida. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Dalvin Cook's younger brother. Um, yeah, it was it was it was a cool game to watch for if you're a Georgia fan. Not so much if you're a Michigan fan. No, not at all. And I think, I mean, we've got to talk about Nakobe Dean. He the he was just he led this Georgia mm. defense and. I mean, his draft stock was already high high entering this twenty two draft. I, I, I'm I'm fairly confident. I don't think he's a senior, but I, yeah, no, he's a junior. So I fully expect him to declare early. And on the back of this game, I mean, he's he's done himself wonders. He was just disruptive. He finished with a sack, two tackles for a loss. Just whenever he got near a, a, a player, they were on the floor. An absolute dominant display by him. In particular, the whole the whole of the um, Georgia defense shut down Michigan, but it just all seemed to to run through Nicobe Dean. Yeah, so him and Jordan Davis were were my sort of standout guys. That I just saw, like like you said, like every at the bottom of every pile of tackle, um, they're they're breaking on the ball. They, they're throwing they're throwing swing passes out to the right, and Nicobe Dean's uh, running them down from 15 yards away before they can even get to the line of scrimmage. And like, yeah. yeah, just a really like absolutely dominant performance um, from the Georgia defense. Um, again, probably Kobe will, uh, Kirby will be, uh, will be pretty happy. Didn't have to show too many complicated looks. A uh, couple of interceptions. I think Kendricks intercepted McNamara twice. Was yeah. it? I think it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Kendricks got both of the interceptions. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. So again, um, I'd be happy with that. They've 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 kept. They've sort of they looked they looked really bad against Bama and, and Bryce Young and downfield passing and and they looked a lot tighter um in this game. Obviously slightly different kind of fish, but yeah um, the improvement that Kirby would have wanted to see, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. As you mentioned, the Kobe Dean was sideline to sideline. He he read almost every play before they'd even started. And yeah, Darren Kendrick had himself a great game. Obviously transferred from Clemson this year in rather uh unflattering circumstances the way he left and and decided to stay in school obviously he's going to be coming out this year and and this is going to, this was a good game for him to finish on uh but he had himself a great game and uh, what i found really interesting and, and it was probably if you're a michigan fan might have been a bit disheartening is on one of kendrick's interceptions the, the wide receiver seemed to have given up on the play in the end zone before it was over kendrick did the opposite he he saw that it was still going to there was still potential to win that and, and and easily got the interception in the end zone. And then I think it was before that, it was a Georgia, uh, I, I can't remember if it was, it was one of the plays you mentioned on the long throw to the right, either to Burton or to Cook. I think it might've been Cook's one. Um, Gray, the, the, the safety uh, or cornerback for yeah, Michigan, again, yeah. just seemed to either got confused on the play and and, and lost Cook easily or, or, or gave up on the play. I don't know what had happened, but... I think it was the Jermaine Burton touchdown, wasn't it? Because he, yeah, he, that was it. You can see him; his eyes are on the ball. He's locating the ball. He's locating yeah. the ball. Then he turns to look at Burton, but realizes Burton's a step ahead, and kind of just stops. Just 
looked back towards the ball and, yeah. and kind of, and yeah, so it was it was a really strange play looking at it. Um, I don't didn't quite understand it myself, but I think he just lost location of the ball in where in relation to his man, and when he turned back round, it was already too late. Yeah. Yeah, it was, too, it was. Yeah, it was too late. But I just found it really, as I say, if, if I was a Michigan fan, disheartening that, that you see it happen on both the offense and defensive side of it. Just uh, almost, uh, well, the play's gone, and then resulting in a touchdown and an in- interception. But uh, I mean, it, it was already too late by that point, unfortunately for, for for Michigan, as you say, and as we said earlier, they were they were unfortunately never really in this game. Georgia put it spare by halftime, and and we started seeing seeing the backups and. Yeah, it's going to be a very, very exciting um, national championship. I think Georgia have got their tails up again after that um, that display against Bama in the title game. They're going to want to uh, make amends for that. And on, and on the flip side, Bama have, have shown two dominant displays on the on the bounce. So, I mean, it could really go either way. I, I, I'm, I'm sure I know which way you're leaning, but yeah. where, where are we going for the final? Where, who's, um, who's taking home the natty? Uh, oh, man, it's tough, right? Because... <laughs> They've got now all the they've got all the fuel that they need with the revenge factor. Um, not only is it a revenge of like a close loss, but like we like absolutely dominated them in the in the SEC championship game. And I've just like the game plan was was just better, simply better. I think they didn't u- utilize any of their strengths the way that they should have done, and they didn't really switch anything up against us. And uh, that's obviously not going to be the case this time. Uh, I, I fully expect to see a very very close game. Um, I think one thing as well is that that Georgia defense they've been told all year how great they were and they they've been told how they were going to Bryce was never going to do anything against them and they were sort of surprised at how good he was and now they're not going to be surprised this time there's there is no catching them by surprise this time and obviously we're without John Mechie it's, um yeah. so so the, the younger guys have got to step up um hoping for a big game from from uh, tight ends like Cameron Lassie and Jaleel Billingsley um, and obviously Billingsley has been a little bit out of favour this year, but he's still a great athletic weapon downfield. So fully expect to see him utilised on some on some uh, sort of unique play concepts. Um, yeah, but I don't know, man. It's so tough to say. I, I want to say I want to say that I feel like Bama are the underdogs because it, it gives us that rat poison. So, um, but I don't know, man. I, I'm gonna. I, it's gonna be a close game. Whatever. I think this might be the one where Kirby finally does it, right? He's 0-4 against Saban. If, uh, to go 0-5, two of those being national championships, two of those, do you know what I mean? Two of those being SEC, or one of those being SEC championships, like it's, it's, um, it's not a, uh, it's not a good look. So I, I think it's do or die for Kirby and I think they might just take it. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, Georgia have got to stop Young. Uh, that's, that's the key. That They, they couldn't do it against against him in the in the title game. I think what did he finish on? Four, four twenty, four twenty-five passing yards oh, yeah, four gosh. touchdowns and then a rushing touchdown. Just he had his day. He had a field day. No one could could stop him. If Nakobe Dean turns up and Nolan Smith, the other linebacker, if they turn up like they did against Michigan, yeah, we're gonna be in for a very exciting game, I think, regardless. Close for mm. it, it really could go either way. I it, Ah, yeah, yeah, difficult. I, I, if I was to, if I was to say at this present moment, I would probably still, I would, I would give it. I would have to say Bama. I just think they've got the, the Saban has got the plays there to to take the game however he wants to Georgia, 
But if Georgia defense turn up like they did, and Stetson Bennett has the game like he did against Michigan, mm. we're we're in for such an exciting game. We really are. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing I, again, like it's both sides of the ball are both interesting, right? Alabama's offense against Georgia's amazing defense, and on the other side of it, Georgia's not so amazing off against Alabama's sometimes amazing defense, sometimes not amazing defense. So it's a, it could, do you know I mean? it could go either way that we've struggled with the run this year, but we didn't in the SEC championship game. But I think they they might have figured out a, a, a few sort of better ways to use James Cook that we might have to deal with. So it's, it's also whether our defense can stop them as well. And if Stephen Bennett can throw uh, window perfect balls like he did in, in the semifinal, then, um, then we're going to have just a bigger chance stopping them as as we are getting past their defense in the first place. So could 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 easily see a low scoring game in this one. Um, yeah. I think it's going to be a lot tighter than it was before. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. It really is. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a great game regardless of uh, regardless of who wins. But that's it. We are done for this episode. Jake, thank you very much for jumping in in Stock's place and, and helping me out tonight. I've really appreciated it. It's been it's been a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, well, looking forward to uh, to the to the the final, regardless of who takes it home. Yeah, cheers, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I booked the day off work after, uh, on Tuesday, so I can stay. I can stay, I can stay up like all Monday night, either crying or celebrating. So, um, but yeah, hit me up. I'm at Dynasty Brit on Twitter, um, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been good fun, man. Hope to be back again soon. Yeah, pleasure as always. Hopefully Stocks is going to be back with me next week and we are going to have a episode dedicated to that national championship and potentially a sneak preview of our top 100 for the 2022 draft. But listeners, remember, as always, Saturdays are for Russian too. We are all entitled to sexual health, just as much as physical and mental health. We want to make it easier for folks to find resources. However they engage with us, there's no wrong door. So it's important that people are able to get access to care that is affirming. Talking about what their sex life is, about their concerns, and to make sure they're healthy. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Your sexual health matters. Visit doitforyoumc.org. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 